This is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to creative people about how they do their thing. And today my guest is Dion Labriola. He is the filmmaker and the subject of a documentary called Dear Ike, Lost Letters to a Teen Idol. I watched it on PBS.com or .org, whatever the PBS website is. A friend of mine turned me on to it. He said you would like this, and he was right. It's about a kid growing up in the 70s who becomes obsessed with this specific actor, Ike Eisenman, and decides that he is going to find him and put him in the animated project that he's developing in his head. Um, and he chases him, tries to find him for several years. Um, it had all my pop culture sweet spots. There's a Larry Wilcox appearance. It was very 70s. And like I just felt like I related to it so much. And so I was excited to talk to Dion. But before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that this podcast, Dennis Anyone, is brought to you by Febreze. No, it's not. I don't have any sponsors. I just like saying names like that. But I do like to use this spot to plug something that one of my past podcast guests may have recently done. So I interviewed a singer-songwriter named Brandon Stansel earlier in the year, and he has a new single out that I love. It's called That's What I Feel About You. So get it on all your streaming platforms. Um, I also want to say that if you like this podcast and you want to support it, there are two ways you can do that. You can go to DennisAnyone.net and you can leave a tip in my virtual tip jar, help me cover my expenses, or you can become a subscriber to DNR Studios. I'm part of a group of shows under the Derek and Romaine banner, really fun LGBTQ shows. Uh, for a monthly fee, you get my show early and you get all these other great shows. So check that out at dnrstudios.com. All right, that's enough of the plugs. Here now is the interview with Dion Labriola. Joining me now from West Hollywood, California, it's Dion Labriola. He's the filmmaker and the subject of a documentary called Dear Ike, Lost Letters to a Teen Idol. Welcome, Dion. Hey, good to be here. Um, my friend Doug turned me on to your film. I watched it on, on PBS online, and I was like, I got to talk to this guy because our, we were at the same similar age. It has to do with pop culture growing up in the seventies right. and eighties. And like, I was just like, Oh, this is right in my sweet spot. So, um, <laughs> before we really dive in, why didn't you explain how you describe the film to someone that knows nothing about it? Uh, that's always a tricky one. It's changed over the years. I mean, I would lived with it for so long. Uh, I think lately I've been saying it's a, it's a kid or it's a movie about a kid who wanted to make a movie when he grew up. Yeah. And he did. It's way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a child actor that you become uh, very obsessed with that you want to collaborate with on a project that you're drawing and, and you have this whole vision for it. And his name is Ike Eisenman. And I didn't know the name when, uh, no. but I knew no. the face the second I saw his face. So uh, talk to me about who he is. Uh, well, it's funny because whenever I say the name Ike Eisenman to people, I just get a blank stare. Right. right. You know? And then right. I'm like, he's no yeah, Adam Rich. He's no Adam Rich. No, he's, he's no. no Christopher Knight. He's no Willie <laughs> now, Ames. But when you see the face, you're like, Oh, of course. It's that kid. You know, you've seen him in a million things. Yeah. Uh, and I, of course, I mean, as I say in the film, the first time I remember uh, seeing him was, and Escape to Witch Mountain, which was pretty much his big breakout role. He had been in a couple commercials. He'd been on like Gunsmoke, but, uh, he'd always, 
his big dream was to be in a Disney project. And I guess he had auditioned for many of them, just kept going back and they never um, hired him for anything. And finally they, this one just kind of, you know, was the right match finally. And I think that's how most people will recognize him. But after that, he went on, he uh, went on to be a contract actor with Disney. So he was in a lot of Disney films and you know, he was the and also on TV. He was the main kid, the main boy in Escape to Yeah, yeah. He was he was Tony Malone. His sister was Tia, who was played by um, Kim Richards. I have not seen that movie since it came out, but I do remember it really capturing my imagination. There was something about the magic of it, or like yeah. it, it really like I remember kind of hooking into it. I need to see it again. But what was it about that movie that? Uh, captured your imagination oh uh, just the magic like i mean you know as a kid you always dream of having magical powers for whatever good or evil reasons <laughs> and i just saw that and i was so young I, I don't even think i realized that it was you know the kid was not actually magic um but i was just you know that I, that's all i wanted in life was to be able to like move things with my mind and also you know? It's sort of kind of to fuck with people that are tormenting you. Like, it feels like a good way to get oh. revenge. If you could be magic on bullies. Oh, yeah, there's a fantastic scene in Escape Twitch Mountain where they're playing baseball and the, the evil bully comes after him and he, you know, he uses his magic powers to, you know, hit him with a baseball mitt and stuff like that. And wow, that was, man, that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Now, you wanted to be an animator, and you started drawing. You had this big project in mind and this binder <laughs> full of, you know, ideas yeah. and sketches. Talk to me about the binder and what that project was. <laughs> well, that came about a little later. I mean, uh, Escape to Witch Mountain was 75. So this is maybe 77. Um, I had started junior high. It was the year after uh, – it was, yeah, the year after uh, Star Wars had come out that summer. So, right. I mean, that just kind of invaded my head. And also The Hobbit uh, was, there was an animated Rankin and Bass version of The Hobbit on that year. And that just kind of inspired me to come up with these characters of my own for this kind of quasi-Tolkien Star Wars kind of crazy idea for a book. Um, and I just, I just, it just started with some random drawings I did. They weren't going to be any, there was no purpose to them. I was just in study hall and I was bored. And, you know, I drew as a kid, you know, nonstop. So whenever I was bored, I would just draw and I just drew some character. And then the next day in study hall, I didn't have anything to do again. So I just started amassing this collection of characters and decided that I would make something out of them. I had a, a cartoonist on the podcast about a month ago named Carlo Quispe, and he said that drawing as a kid helped him make friends. It was a way of, like, oh, connecting mm -hmm. with people. Is that similar to your story? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's, like, one of the first things I mentioned in the film. Yeah. Because well, I, I was a total geek as a kid, but... And I say in the film, it's kind of like having a special power. It's, you know, somebody comes up to you and says, draw me whatever, and you can draw it. And it's like, wow, that's amazing, you know, something that they can't do. 
So that was definitely something kind of keep in my back pocket. Well, you have this idea and this big universe that you're creating with all these ideas and characters, and you decide that Ike Eisenman is the person to bring at least one of these (laughs) characters to life, right? So you start trying to reach him. Now, how old are you when you start your campaign to uh, get Ike on board? Uh, Thirteen. It was the summer uh, before ninth grade, and (laughs) Like, prior to this, I had had other kids, like, in my class that I decided would do the voices of my characters. I don't really know how that came about. I think it might have been, I might that might have been around the time that I discovered that when they do animated films, they do the voices first. They record the audio first. So I was like, well, (laughs) if I would make this film, I better get some people online. So I would just be like, hey, John, you're going to be this voice or, you know, yeah. whoever was just, you know, one of my friends. And then, uh, and that started in eighth grade. And then in the summer between eighth and ninth grade, the Devilment commercial appeared, which I think a lot of people will remember. Double creature in a double feature. <laughs> See, this yeah. is all my pop culture su- sweet spot. You're talking about <laughs> Chips, Larry Wilcox. Like, I, I was like, I knew everything you were talking about. So you've got this double mint commercial. Yeah, I mean, which played... Uh, constantly. Constantly, for years and years. Yeah. It wasn't just like a couple weeks like they do commercials now. It played for at least two years, I think. Right. And and I don't know, I saw and Ike Eisenman is in it, along with like an ex-Mouseketeer. I don't, can't, can't recall her name. But I was most interested in Ike. And for some reason, I was like, hey, that's that that magic kid. I'm going to cast him in my movie for I'm not sure why. (laughs) He's perfect for it, though. He's perfect. It it was. But yeah, there was just no question he was perfect and he had to do it. What struck me about the movie and I think will resonate with people is it wasn't a fleeting idea that you had. You kept this. You kept (laughs) believing for a really long time. And you would write letters and your mother would, would type them up. Yeah. And you would try, you'd try going through SAG and get rejected. And, but you didn't give up. What was your mother thinking when you're like, can we do another letter? Like, was she humoring you or did she believe? Like, what was her thing when you were just not letting go of this dream? Oh, God, you know, I, <laughs> It's hard to it's hard to know what my what she was thinking because I mean I think a lot of parents would be like all right this is enough you got to cut this you know, out we gave it seventeen tries that's enough let it go. let it go but let it go but I think maybe she was just like she didn't know what to tell me as a kid yeah. in Akron Ohio to you you want to pursue a, a career in animation she. She had no, you know, nothing to go from. So I think maybe it was just some way that maybe I could find some kind of answers from someone. Yeah. When you said that just now, I remembered something about my own mother. When it became clear that I wanted to pursue entertainment, performing, television, movies, whatever, that world, I remember her saying, I'm so sorry, I don't know anyone. Like she, I think she thought like, Oh, it, that's, you need connections, and like I don't. I, but but it, if it made her feel bad that she, there was no no strings she could pull, no resources, nothing in that world. Because I was from a a small town in Arizona, 
Was your, did you have friends that were obsessed with pop culture in the way that you were, or did you feel kind of like this was your thing? Uh, I guess my best friend was pretty obsessed with Jaws. Right. <laughs> Definitely no one that wanted to like go into show business or anything like that. Or wanted to you be know, an like, animator. Yeah. Let alone be an animator. Yeah. And actually my, my art teacher in the film says that, you know, I was the only student of hers that wanted to be an animator, but that was, I asked her that question uh, because during like breaks during the interview, she, we were just talking and she said, yeah, you were the only person I ever had that was even interested in film. Yeah. You know, which is, you know, you think about that now, uh, it's like so many kids, it seems like. Somebody would, right? Yeah. But, you, I loved your art teacher in the film. She's kind of glamorous. Um, she reminded yeah, me of like yeah. a Jill Biden kind of like. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I think it's cool that you're you had enough of a relationship with her that that she would do this documentary that she would remember you. Like, what was your relationship like? Well, I mean, we were we were always had a great relationship. I mean, <laughs> you know, back in high school, you could during the last couple of years, you could pick pretty much whatever classes you wanted, and I was in the art room for seventy percent of the day. You know, any time that I didn't have to take a class, I would sign up for some art thing, you know. So you were so, there a lot. Like for me, it was I, like the speech teacher, the drama teacher. That was like my play, my safe place in a way. Did it serve yeah, as that for you? Like a, a haven? Yeah. I mean, completely. I mean, it was where I felt at home because of, you know, this could have nurtured my talents, but also she was just a very you know, accepting and really just, she was just a stellar teacher. I mean, what's her uh, name, by the way, we should mention the name. Oh, Pat Bishop. Yeah. Um, and yeah, anybody, anybody you talk to, she, she went on actually after she taught high school, she taught at the university of Akron for a while. And anybody who had her just like, will gush about Pat Bishop. Um, just cause uh, she just, she had gave me a, a unique take on art that I had not, not, uh, faced, <laughs> you know, and just exposed me to all kinds of art, creativity and just every, yeah, her, her classroom was everything. So yeah, I had kind of tried to stay in touch with her. Luckily with the dawn of social media you know, became easier. So I'd been out there to Ohio and looked her up and, you know, just went to visit her long before, um, that I, you know, deciding to make the film. And then when I started production on it, I was like, okay, who is going to remember, you know, the important details of this ridiculousness that I lived through from junior high through high school. She was now, she was my high school art teacher. So she, that's how long this, you kept obsession. that dream alive, and it's a specific <laughs> dream, like a specific yeah. project with a specific a- actor, and she mm-hmm. and she remembered it, and she re- remembered you, oh, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, also, it's interesting to watch because there's no computers, there's no internet. You have to try to find this guy and ask him yeah. to be in your project. So you're looking through every magazine. You're just the ex- like a detective a single-minded mission. Where did that sort of dedication and that not give up come from? Why didn't you give up? It was, it was just, 
that's all I had. <laughs> right. As a kid. That was, and I say in the film, you know, most kids at that age are out like chasing girls. Right. Um, you know, and that for me was not an option, you know, so all that, I mean, that crazy teenage energy, right? you know, it has to get funneled somewhere. And I think that's just what happened. Right. And it's just, I mean, and the fact that <laughs> I couldn't get through, like if he'd written back to me and been like, hey, yeah, uh, thanks for contacting me. Here's an eight by 10 with my signature. Right. Don't talk to me again. Right. God bless <laughs> you. Good luck. It. You know, but it wasn't that. It was just like I would write letters and I would get nothing. Like sometimes they would come back with like the address scratched right. out return to sender, but sometimes they would just disappear into the ether. Who knows whatever became of them. So that I, that I definitely just made it more intense. It was just like I got nothing. So it's like, what am I doing wrong? I am going to win this over. Cause I was watching that and I was like, I watched your movie and I was like, I need to be more resilient about my own projects. I need to try harder like this. I should take a page out of this kid's book and not give up so easy. Um, yeah, it was like that. Who were your teen crushes, uh, of the era? I'll go first. Willie Ames, oh, yeah. Willie Ames. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, he was doing stuff in that van on eight is enough. You know it. You know, Ike was on an episode of Eight Is Enough. Of course he was. He was on everything. He was on everything. Yeah. Actually, I think that's one of the shows that I've, I've never seen his episode of Eight Is Enough. But yeah, Willie Ames, absolutely. Um, I think the first one I remember as, I mean, preteen was uh, Mike Lookinland. Yeah, Bobby Brady. Um, Bobby Brady. Uh, I would like send him books. I think I, yeah, I sent him a little dinosaur book that I had that I thought was really cool. I um, love that you sent Bobby Brady a dinosaur book. <laughs> I'm sure I still have my yeah. cop. Because yeah. it was one of those little scholastic things where, you know, you fill out the little Oh, form yeah, 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 of course. And they, they come to your school. Yeah. It was just like this little paperback book about dinosaurs. And I was like, it was the coolest book I've ever seen. Yeah. I also remember. I also remember when Gregory Harrison would turn around in the shower on Trapper John in the opening oh credits. Oh my god! Yep. Yep. Solid. Solid memory. Yeah, all you had to do is watch the first minute of Trapper John. Okay, you're done. good. I don't need to know the story. I don't care about the kid trapped <laughs> no. in the thing or whatever yeah, it is. How many men, gay <laughs> teenage boys, has lived for that scene? For sure. Um, <laughs> I also i I wanted to be Chris Partridge, the blonde one, not the other, not the first Chris. Um. Uh, I wanted to be him, but I think it meant I had a crush on him. Um, yeah. Well, there's that weird line of like, yeah. cause like the Bobby Brady thing, I don't ever, I would not have said, yeah, I want to date Bobby Brady, but right. you know, it's definitely was, you know, it's a weird, cause it's like when you're eight, yeah. you don't want to, you just want to be around them. You don't know what it yes. is, but you want to be around them. Friend. You want them to be your friends. Hey, I, I watched this a little while ago and took notes, and some of these notes, I don't know what they mean. So why did I write, come <laughs> home with me, in quotes? There was a show oh, or something come called... home with me. Yeah, what's going on with me? That was the article that I found in one of my oh, right. magazines. So you're like, trying to find Ike Eisenman, and he does this <laughs> home visit, like, teen magazine called Come Home With Me, and you've like, I've been trying for years. And... Uh, yeah. 
And then he yeah, puts an address at the end saying an send- address in it. I mean, granted, it was a couple years old, like because uh, it was my sister had been collecting sixteen magazines, you know, since the dawn of the Bay City Rollers. Um, but yeah, it, it was this whole page article all about Ike that was there in my sister's closet the whole, whole time. I finally found it, and at the end was like, "Oh, please write me. I'll answer all your letters," and you know. Oh my God! What every what every article in every teen magazine ever says, you know? Yeah. Um. Yeah. That that was that was the first real like concrete address I had. It was like, oh, this is this is exactly what I've been waiting yeah. for. Do you remember the Battle of the Network Stars with as much fondness as I do? Oh, well, your I eyes mean, got really Willie big Ames. when I said that. That's when, it, when you mentioned Willie Ames. I almost said that. Yeah. It was, yeah. That was one of the other things you would wait for as a kid. And they were all in Speedos and dolphin shorts I mean, running around. It was, it's so bizarre. It's right. Like, Whose right. idea was that? I don't know, but it was a good one. But and it, I remember, yeah. like, I would kind of take sides. And Robert Conrad was kind of a jerk for NBC. He was kind of like a <laughs> blowhard and a bully. I didn't like that. And no. I, no, I yeah. loved Christy McNichol, too. I, I really had a crush on her. Which probably wow. meant that I was attracted to masculine energy, but um, right. yeah, it could be. Yeah. Um, so you ultimately end up meeting Ike Eisenman, and we don't want to say what happens, <laughs> but I am curious, what was it like when you were face-to-face the first time? What, what did that feel like? Uh, well, it was so brief, because um, he, he lives in Florida now. Right. Um, if I, you know, he lived he, here until, when did he move? I don't know. But we did overlap in L.A. So there could have been times when we lived in the same city. and You, you could know, have ran into him at Trader Joe's. Yeah. didn't happen. Exactly. But I didn't. Um, didn't. This didn't happen until he moved to Florida. So he was in town presenting some show that he was working on at a, a theater over on the Highland. And my friend Andy called me and he was like, Hey, it was like 10 o'clock in the morning, which I'm not a morning person. Right. <laughs> and he called me and I was like, Oh, I got to answer it. And he's like, What are you, how fast can you be ready? I'm like, Oh, <laughs> and I kind of instantly knew what it was. Right. Ike is in town. He's at this theater. We rush right now. We can go see him. So we did. We went and said, you know, Andy was like, hi, this Andy or Ike, I want you to meet my friend Dion. And Ike was like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. And he's like, no, that's Dion. And he's like, oh, Dion. Because he had told him about the letters and the, the right, campaign. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, oh, wow, yeah, it's great to meet you, blah, blah, blah. But he had like a billion other things to do. So that was pretty much the extent of it. But And the other thing I... Even now, um, kind of, I've spent, obviously, since then, I've spent a lot more time with him. And it's just, there's this weird disconnect where it's like, that's kind of not the same person. Yeah. It's a weird, I can't quite connect it in my head, you know, that there's Ike Eisenman and then there's Ike, you know? Well, so. One of the themes that your movie made me think about is we, we may have, 
uh, our um, adulation of these people or our fans and we reach out to them, but we never know what they're dealing with. We never know right. what's going on in their lives or their families or the moment when we interact with them or see them. We, we, you have no idea. And in your mm-hmm. movie, some things are revealed kind of about Ike's life that really yeah. give it a lot more depth and, uh, and re- resonance. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to say too much about it so people can watch it, but I think a lot of times with documentaries, you think you're making one story and then it kind of goes somewhere else. Um, were there things that surprised you about the way it was unfolding as you were making it? Yes, it was. And it started with my first phone call with Ike. Cause I had, Andy was kind of the, my go between. Right. Ike. Cause you, he was friends, friends with Ike and, right. and you ended up meeting. Him there. Yeah. <laughs> right. So he reached out to Ike and was like, Hey, Dion's thinking about making this film about, you know, what happened and how you finally made contact. And just, just to make sure he would be interested. He was like, sure. Um, have him give me a call. So in that initial phone call, there were a lot of things that came out that I realized we had even more in common than I originally thought. Right. Part of my desire to get in touch with him was to talk to him about Cal Arts, right. which was school I found out about just randomly going through college catalogs in Pat Bishop's art room that had an actual animation department, which most colleges back then did not. I mean, even art schools did not have an animation department. I mean, it was rare for them to have a film department back then. But this place had like several different animation, you know, courses and fields. It was crazy. So I wanted like to see if, you know, he knew anything about it. Because yeah. it's actually started by Walt Disney. So I was like, well. And then, but I didn't know until that phone call that he actually got an offer to go there. Yeah. From the head of it, the animation department. Because he was, he's actually an incredibly talented artist, which I didn't even realize the extent of it. I knew back then that he was an artist, but I didn't know. Right, that you both how. really draw and, and love yeah. that medium. And he's, he's way better at it than I am. But, um, yeah, he got the head of the animation department offered him, um, free ride to Cal Arts, which I, re- I thought was like crazy. I remember seeing the Cal Arts, uh, catalog when I was in high school because I grew up in a oh, small yeah. town in Arizona. I did not have a big, like, dream of going somewhere far away or anything like that. But I remember seeing that catalog and thinking, oh my God, there's acting on the second floor and, and mm. music on the third floor. I was like, this is a kid from fame heaven. Like, I just feel like, I, it really captured yeah. my imagination. Like, what a place to go to. And, I, um, yeah, that's like, probably around the same time you were thinking it, but, uh, it did not make it happen. I had to go, I went to a state <laughs> school. Um, same here. You grew up in Akron, Ohio. I grew up in Holbrook, Arizona. Do you remember moments oh, growing up? Oh, no. Do you know it? Yeah, yeah, I've been there. It's All right. like, to the crater, right? It's close to Meteor Crater, like probably a half hour away. Um, yeah. And uh, Route 66. But do 66. you remember moments where show business came to Akron? Because I remember when they were shooting that movie Starman with Jeff Bridges in like northern Arizona. And like uh. it was all the buzz. Did show business ever come to Akron? <laughs> the only thing that comes to mind, <laughs> not really show business, but... Geraldo Rivera came to town once. That was probably like the biggest, 
He was kind of hot back in the early days. <laughs> like he was. But what yeah. did he come there for? Oh, my God. It was when he was a reporter with 2020, I think. Sure. Yeah. And there was this famous scene. I don't – gosh, it was so long ago. There, But I all I remember he, – he, I don't even know what the story about, but he was chasing uh, someone who he was a pimp. Right. <laughs> calling out his name. Good Lord, I need to find that on YouTube. I'm sure it's on YouTube because it was just like, what are you doing? He was down in the streets. Geraldo would go while no one else yeah. would go. He was that guy. He was that kind of well, reporter. Yeah, not many people went to Akron, Ohio. Yeah. What was it like doing the animation parts of your film? Because they're really charming. They have a real cool look to them. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, it was tough because, like we said before, we started recording, I'm an editor. Right. <laughs> That's kind of where I've focused my energies lately. I mean, I've dabbled in animation. I still do. Right. But to do like big chunks of it. Right. Uh, it's not, this is not something I do on a normal basis. So, and it wasn't anything I intended to do, intended to do when I started the film. I was just, it was just going to be like, you know, I'll show some letters. And, and then I started getting the point, certain points. I'm like, oh, what am I going to show here? It's yeah. like the, we need you know, something, the, yeah. The endless editor's, you know, conundrum. What what am I going to cover this with? Um, and at first I was like, well, maybe I'll shoot reenactments. And I was like, oh, no, I can't do that. <laughs> first of all, can you get Larry Wilcox? You met Larry Wilcox. Larry Wilcox tried to help you. <laughs> you know, Larry Wilcox was so nice. I mean... <laughs> I think Eric Estrada would not have been as nice, if I'm being I honest. I think he might have been a little attitude with you. You know, I've tried to get in touch with with Larry. Well, I've tried to get his attention on Twitter just so he can see this film, but I've had no luck. So, so you, you met him know. at like a fan event, and you're like, hey, nice to meet you. Hey, Mike Eisenman. A fan event. It was some car convention. A car convention. It just happened to be there. <laughs> I, I love your um, ploy of like, he thinks you're there because you admire him, and you're like, hey, can you give me the Ike Eisenman? Did you feel like you had to kind of kiss his ass a little first? Loved you, love no, you, and all, no. all of your work. By the way. No, I did none of that, because I wasn't, I had, I don't think I'd seen an episode of Chips. I hadn't even seen an episode that, that Ike was on. It was right. not my thing. It was all about Ike to me. I was, <laughs> and yeah, he could have been. It's thinking back on it now. He could have been just like, "Get out of here!" You know what? Are you, what are you coming into my line, my autograph line with this nonsense? But no, he was like, "Really? Like, oh, really? Thought about it?" And I was like, "Oh man, it's it, this is gonna work." And then he's like, "Yeah, you should you should definitely try writing him in Care of the Screen Actors Guild." Uh, which I'd already tried. Yeah, like, not a bad idea, but you had tried it and it hadn't worked. They've, they've returned to sender. You would go through TV Guide and look for Ike Eisenman to make guest appearances. That is some dedication. <laughs> oh, at one point, my grandmother bought me, like, not just my mom was in on it. My grandmother bought me a subscription to the TV Guide. Right. And I, as soon as it would come out, I would go through page by page and look and look and look for Ike Eisenman. I used to love getting the TV guide, especially the fall preview issue. It was oh, just, yeah. oh, you would just decide everything you were going to watch. <laughs> yeah. I still have a couple of them somewhere. My friend Doug, who introduced us, who discovered your documentary and said, you got to see this. He collects TV guides. And I, oh, well, yeah, I went I back. 
you got some for him, he's going to be thrilled to hear that. Because I went back home once and there were these old TV guides in my room and I brought them back to him. And I put him in a box and I filmed the video of him opening the box. Oh, really? I knew it'd be like, and, and his, his husband is like, oh, more crap in the house. Like, <laughs> but it was just the cutest moment, like uh, TV guys that he hadn't seen and he loves the ads. And it's just oh, all wow. that, it's all that time, that pop culture. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was thinking about, I had gone, I was in college and I had flown to Utah to audition to be a, singer, dancer, kid of the kingdom at Disney from Arizona because they didn't have auditions in Arizona. And I, I look back on that and I'm like, I really believed I could do that. Uh, I didn't get the gig, but I was kind of, I was kind of proud of myself. Do you look at your dedication around this project and are you proud of your, your stick-to-itiveness? How do you feel about that kid? <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, mm, gosh, that's, there are a lot of things going on there because I don't know about, I don't know if pride would be the right. I mean, it's, uh, I definitely admire the kid, you know, just for sticking with it. I kind of wish someone had, had come around to tell me, you know, to channel my energies in different directions. You know, if you really want to be an animator, okay. Yeah, you can <laughs> try to like uh, cast actors from Hollywood to be in your film, but there's probably more realistic steps you could take towards that goal that might actually get you into Cal arts. Right. You know, um, uh, like actually doing some animation. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know what? I'm going to get Ike first and then I'm going to do the animation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think and on that, I think part of it was, uh, my thinking was I didn't want to be an animator. I wanted to be the mastermind behind right. it. You know, I wanted to be the producer. So, you know, but where do you go to study that? Right. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you don't go to college and they teach you to be Steven Spielberg. Right. You know, you picked a few questions from the observation deck. What was your so, favorite yeah. or most memorable birthday? Oh, well, probably for my 30th birthday, I went to Italy. Amazing. Um, yeah, which is, you know, I'm Italian on my mother and father's side, and I'd never been. So, um, and I'd recently been writing letters. Of course, this is way before social media, way before the internet. Right. But I'd been writing letters back and forth to a cousin that was um, close to my age. So, and my uncle and his wife, who was a uh, art history professor, they had often gone back and forth. So I had a couple or many relatives actually from north to south that I kind of just, you know, went from one end of the country to the other. But my actual birthday, I was in Florence. Oh, and the I most beautiful. The but that night I went off on my bike because, you know, once the museums all closed, what do you do? Yeah. I just took a bike ride and found this little gelato place and they had – um, a gelato flavor I'd never seen was fresh fig. Wow. I'm a fanatic. It was the most amazing ice cream I've ever had to this day. I've never seen it. It's almost okay. like it appeared uh, just for your birthday and then disappeared <laughs> completely. Um, yeah, exactly. Another question that you picked is, have you ever approached somebody that you admire to gush about their work <laughs> or whatever? Before I lived in L.A., I was in Chicago. I was working in a nightclub. So we would get people in all the time. Um, Banana Rama came in one day. Oh, I love show. it. 
Yeah, Bill Maher was there once. But, and usually, like sometimes they, you know, uh, they would just be like off in a corner and no one would bother them. But sometimes they'd come up to the DJ booth just to say hi. And there was one day when there was a celebrity came in and I told my, my fellow DJ Greg was there and I'm like, bring him up here to the booth. <laughs> it was Carrot Top. <laughs> right on. You brought Carrot Top like, up to the booth. Have to meet Carrot Top. Was he cool? Um, he was totally cool. He was like so nice. He like signed something for me and was like, thanks for the smile. <laughs> you know, cause that's really I mean, sweet. Yeah. I that mean, might be gets, the name of this episode. It's very sweet. <laughs> was he buff yet or was he more like early? He, no, he was not. I mean, he was like, he'd always been in really good shape, but yeah. he was not the Hulk that he is. You know, he became. In yeah. The, it was pretty, pretty early carrot top. That's a good one. Yeah. I think my favorite one was probably, um, after I moved to LA, um, probably maybe 2002, I went to see Ricky Lee Jones at because I love Ricky Lee Jones and she's so LA and I never seen her live. Right. But she does a song. She does a cover of rebel rebel. Yeah. That I originally seen her do on the tonight show and she did it with Brian Setzer and this woman named Sid straw who was a um, singer songwriter vocalist. And when I saw Ricky Lee Jones in concert in LA, she was like, Oh, I want to bring my friend Sid Straw down. So Sid Straw was like, came out of the audience and she was just like a couple rows for me. Right on. So she went down, did her song, came back and sat down. I'm like, I'm going to go talk to Sid Straw. Cause you know, she was just like a cool indie musician yeah. at the time. And I went down and talked to her and she was just the nicest person. She was, she was actually, I've met you before. I was like, I don't think so. We'd actually both met, lived in Chicago for a while, but I don't think we'd ever met. But, and ever since then, like I would go to her shows and say hi. And then social media came around and, you know, she's really active on social media and we stayed in touch. And over the years, we kind of become friends. She actually played at my wedding. So. That's amazing. And congratulations. Yeah. She yeah, played she at your went, wedding. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. 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 She's, and she's just like, if anybody is a Sid Straw fan and not met Sid Straw, next time you see her, say hi. She's just an extraordinary life force. <laughs> what did she play at your wedding? Her own songs or something for the occasion? Yeah. Well, she has a song called Marry Me. Of course. Which she wrote for, <laughs> she's, it's a great story. She wrote for a friend's wedding. The friend wanted her to sing a Lou Reed song or something. And right. she decided to write the song on the way there. And she, <laughs> the friend was not happy about it. But we were like, hey. We'll take like it. it. Yeah, yeah. So she actually opened the ceremony with that. And then afterwards, we had her, we, we had a, um, a music festival wedding. Amazing. Oh, Where was, was it? It was at El Cid oh, on Sunset. El Cid is awesome. Yeah, 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 it was the perfect place. So she played She played afterwards, too. She played like six or seven songs. Look at that. Along with some other artists. Did Ike Eisenman come to your wedding? <laughs> no, that, no, yeah, he did not come he to He didn't my, officiate? I really knew him. Yeah. Let's tell people how they can see your movie. It's on pbs.org. But there's also some special showings coming up. Is that right? World Animation Day is October 28th. So in order to celebrate that, 
uh, KCET slash PBS SoCal, which is my presenting station, is showing the film twice on October 27th at 10.30, I believe, and then October 28th at 9 p.m. How did you get in with PBS? How did that happen? I did the festivals, and then it's like, well, what do you do? And I'd never made a film before, I didn't know. So I just, like, spent months and months trying to figure out, you know, what to do with it. And uh, I had a, a, met another filmmaker who made a film called The Hollywood Priest. And he had his film popped up on KCT one day. I was like, how, how did, did that you do happen? That? Yeah. Well, you go to their website and you submit your film. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> well, I guess I'll try that. And he's like, yeah, you should, because they're always looking for things that are, you know, L.A. related. Right. You know. So I did, and within a few months, they called me, and they were like, hey. Or they didn't call me. I got an email. They said, we'd like to talk to you about uh, national distribution for your film. I was like, sounds good to me. That's amazing. And so many people yeah. can enjoy it that way. PBS is classy, cultural. Very <laughs> right. cool. All right, well done. I have one more question for you. What has it meant for you in your life to have made this movie? It's just good. It's good to get it out, you know? And also, I just, I think that it's, you know, it's just another story to add to kind of the canon of gay stories. And it's not necessarily like about my struggles with earth shattering important things. It's just a story about, you know, me growing up. But, you know, it, it was definitely affected by the fact that I was a gay teenager. So I just think it's important to have those kind of stories, you know, collection those out there, you know, cause people will watch it and, you know, see themselves in some part of it at some point, I think. Have you heard from people that have seen it on PBS? Oh yeah. That's actually one of the things that surprised me once it started airing cause it, it, they started rolling it out in June for pride month. Right. And every time it would play just about it, I would get like emails or, Facebook message or Instagram or, you know, people would reach out on Twitter just saying like, Hey, I caught your film. It's really funny. It kind of reminded me of my crush on, you know, somebody had a crush on Spock. Of <laughs> course <that>. they did. <laughs> but you know, just all kinds of people would reach out and that was just yeah. like so much fun. And it was like, Hey, you know, I looked you up. You were on Facebook. I decided to write you. It's yeah. like, Oh, it's, it's because it's so much easier now, you know, yeah. like if I wanted to, if anybody wants to reach out to Ike Eisenman, he's on Facebook, he's on Twitter, yeah. he's on Instagram, yeah. you know, it's just a different world. So I thought that was kind of a weird way to end the whole thing, you know, because people reach out to me and actually can get in touch with me. Well, I think one of the themes that I took from your movie is that when as a creative person, when you put something out there, if you're Ike Eisenman or whatever you are, in any part of it, you never know what it's going to mean to people that consume it, wherever they consume it. Like, you never yeah. know what it means to people. And now you've done that. You've created something that is connecting with people. So it's um, the power of, of creation, I guess, the power of art. And, yeah, that's what and, we do. What we Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Thank that's you so awesome. much for doing this. This was really fun. Yeah. Also, yeah, yeah. Oh, I should also say there is the people can also go to dreich.com if they really want it on DVD <laughs> or Blu-ray. It's actually available. All right. Have you been to Vidiots yet in um, 
Eagle Rock. Deer Hike is available to rent at Vidiots. Deer Hike is available to rent at Vidiots. Look at that. Yeah. Vidiots is my new favorite place in LA that recently oh, yeah. opens. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> All right. This was really fun. Thank you so much. Sure. Okay. Bye. Thanks again to Dion Labriola. Check out his movie, Dear Ike, Lost Letters to a Teen Idol on PBS. And there are parts of it that I didn't really hint at in the interview because I wanted to keep it a surprise. But it goes to some places that you're not expecting. All right, so this happened. I went to two live performances uh, by some past Dennis Anyone podcast guests. First of all, I saw Ryan Raftery. He was on recently on the on the podcast. He has a show called Mother of the Year the Chris Jenner musical, and he did it at this place called the Bourbon Room in Hollywood, where I had never been, but it's a really cool venue. I saw that just last night, and it is so, he is so funny. There's a ferocity to his performance, like just he's so in it. It's almost like a trance that he's he's being Chris Jenner, and the writing is smart and funny, and there's visuals on a screen that go with it, and the the Kardashian girls pop up, and story goes places that uh, you don't expect it to go and I'm going to catch any Ryan show that he does that I can catch I am going to be there in the front row because I just loved it so much and got to see him afterwards and he was very sweet and fun and anyway if you're in New York he's doing a bunch of his shows in the new year and you should all go see him because he's brilliant and the other thing I saw is I went and saw the band Neon Trees at the uh, Belasco I think is the name of the club it's a rock club downtown Um, I took a subway and walked like a mile by myself in the late at night downtown. It was that's because I'm committed to rock and roll. Anyway, Neon Trees is this awesome band. Uh, you probably heard of them, and you, I know you've heard their records on the radio. So I interviewed Tyler Glenn for this podcast during the pandemic when he wasn't getting to perform at all, and we were all stuck at home. And uh, I really loved the interview. He was raised Mormon like I was, so we really bonded over a lot of that stuff. And it was so great to get to see him being a rock star because that's what he is. He sounded incredible. The band sounded incredible. It was a really fun night. It was a Wednesday night. I was like out till midnight, like walking by myself downtown. Yeah, that's me. That's my life. It was on my dream board. So I was like, I'm going to see if I can get a a ticket and go to this. So I did. Anyway, it was two really cool shows and it was just cool to see people that I had talked to do their thing and to shine so brightly. All right, that's enough for this week. Before I let you go, I want to let you know that the Mismatch Game is coming back to L.A. on Sunday, October 29th at 7 p.m. It's our Halloween show, our Ghouls Night Out edition. It's going to be a lot of fun. So come out and see us. It's going to be great. And I also want to give a shout out to Oscar Rosario for mixing the episodes. My theme music is by Mark Daniels for Placement Music. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.